This is Robert Merlacci, Chief Digital Curator of the Mindshare Learning Report, Canada's Learning and Technology e-magazine. This podcast is brought to you by C21 Canada, Canadians for 21st Century Learning and Innovation. I'm honored to have joined me for a Mindshare Learning Moment, Lee Tao, the founder of Chatter High. Lee is a future paleontologist football player who attended high school in Peterborough, Ontario, Lee's career path was a complete surprise to him. A graduate of Royal Rhodes Military College with a BSc in Oceanography and Space Science. He worked in the Arctic, has a medal from the UN and NATO, gave advice to engineers on broken down locomotives, designed the advertising at an airport, founded EdTech Chatter High, and now is on a mission of getting every student to talk about their future. Lee sits on the BC Technology Workforce Development Subcommittees for Diversity and Outreach and Job Readiness. Thank you for joining me this afternoon, Lee. Yes, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the call, Robert. Wow. What strikes me as I read your uh, your bio is that the path isn't always direct. There you go. That's that's uh, about uh, my trajectory for sure. So, what inspired uh, Chatter High as a company and a brand? Yeah, there's definitely a few factors that pulled together to bring this to where we are. Um, first of all, everybody in my family is an educator. Uh, like you mentioned, I grew up in Peterborough. My dad was a department head for special ed. My mom taught. Cool. At, uh, she was a professor at Fleming College. My brother became an elementary school teacher. But I went and joined the Navy. So I was uh, a bit of a black sheep, um, but I did 25 years in the Navy and just retired last spring, actually. Um, Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I was was a reservist for the last 15. I was reg force for the first 10. And you get to do a lot of neat things, travel the world, and and, and do a lot of cool work up in the Arctic and the Persian Gulf around the world. Um, And you you learned a lot about being adaptable. You know, they throw into a lot of uh, interesting uh, positions to get a lot of things done. I then went into uh, the biggest company in the world, hired me, GE, to manage at a locomotive facility in Port Coquitlam. I then wanted to move to Victoria. I met the CEO of 7-Eleven Canada, who hired me to help start a company in an industry that didn't even have a name, now known as Digital Out of Home. Oh, cool. I built a Digital Out of Home network in Western Canada, and then and that, that was where the airports uh, came right. in. Right. And UVic, University of Victoria, so I live in Victoria now. Right. University of Victoria and Camosun College were clients of mine. They were advertising. They were trying to reach their target audience. And I had lunch with the director of marketing and recruiting at Camosun College, and I said, David, you guys have 160 programs at this college. Right. That's a lot of programs, you know, and I, I realized, I don't really know what you offer today, but how does Billy the grade 10 kid know what you offer? And he told me that the direct methods to engage students in schools today are putting posters and brochures uh, books into their guidance offices or career centers, driving to schools and presenting in schools or getting booths at career fairs. And I realized, Robert, that's what we did back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, I, it's, I, it's, I'm having flashbacks. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, there's a reason for it. It's We have a semi-permeable membrane around our schools to protect our kids from you know, Coca-Cola and things like that. But it makes it harder for these legitimate organizations to get information in. So the first thing was, you know, working with them, I realized we need a, a digital, we need a web application. We need to get this information between their nose and their phone. And then the 
second thing that happened was I became a guest instructor uh, for marketing classes in the high school and the college, and I met teenagers again in a pack, you know, a pack of 15-year-olds. Right. And you ask questions. I, I couldn't help myself. What do you want to be when you grow up? And what do you, you know, and you start to realize that, uh, and I've done this now 30,000 times with students across the country, you realize that generally, you know, 80-20 rule applying here, you know, it feels like they're still reading, you know, talking from Curious George or Richard Scarry. You know, what do you want to be? Teacher, doctor, lawyer. Right, right. I mean, holy cow, like the world has changed, guys. There's a lot out there. So, and, and you get the sense that they kind of don't care yet. You know, their parents are still taking care, of, are sure. taking care of stuff for them, and they've got a cell phone, and they can kind of naturally push off the work of exploring. Um, and so, you know, we, we have courses for them now in high schools, career courses. And in Ontario, this is the most filled course in Ontario. A big part of that is they kind of don't care. So I realized we've got to get them engaged. And to do that, mm-hmm. I wanted to gamify. I thought gamification was a great way to do it. So, so when, I, when we came up with Chatter High, we actually piloted it for a number of years in Victoria. And I right. actually did it off the side of my desk doing my other work for five years. I, I was afraid. I was afraid of doing this kind of work in public education. I didn't sure. know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I knew, I knew a couple of things. One, we had to get them engaged with this kind of information. And that community and that sense of connection and social was big. So, um, yeah, so the high, you've got that, that's the, ch- the high school part. The chatter piece is the social piece. Um, rather than just giving them software to explore post-secondary, which can be perceived as largely boring, right? let's let them do that while they're also able to talk to each other across the country or even ask the institutions questions. So okay. right from the beginning, we started out with this sort of this chatter piece, you know, where they could talk to each other, um, connect with the institutions. And, and I realized I was really building what's called a double-sided market a free product used in schools to help kids explore. Right. And a, a paid-for product by the outside world, the institution. They, they're paying for it anyway. They're paying for the posters, the booths, the career fairs, driving around in the schools. This is just a digital medium, a digital right, right. channel for them to get that information in. So, but let's gamify this. Let's make it fun. Let's get them engaged. And now we're in our eighth year, and we've grown across the country, and we're into the states, and we're bilingual. So it's, and, and at the beginning, people were confused, like, what is Chatter High? Like, what is that brand? But now what right. I from teachers is, I love the name. The kids, you know, this makes sense to me. <laughs> so right. it's taking some time to get there. But uh, Yeah, and, and it's making sense to me as well. And thank you for that, Lee. That, uh, that uh, resonates with me now. And it probably resonates better with kids because, you know, I'm not a millennial. I'm, you know, a baby boomer <laughs> like you. you so, <laughs> but we're young at heart, right? And uh, we have young people that surround us. And that's... Uh, that's not a bad thing. So what makes Chatter High so unique and compelling for teachers and students? Uh, the big piece is active exploration. Um, it's, it's typically the way we get information to them is passively. The books are on the bookshelf. The booths are down at the library if you wish to come down and talk to those people. Um, you know, it's very passive for these kids, and it's a trick that I borrowed from the Navy. If you'd come up to the bridge of the ship and said, Sir, how do I do this? I would say, Robert, that's a great question, but I want you to find out and get back to me. I may give you a hint of where to go look or who to talk to, but right. you know that you doing that bit of work and scratching a little is going to help you remember this stuff. So with Chatter High, you know, and so basically the, the translation there is advertising doesn't work that well. Um, we need them to do something. So in our site, the institutions, the government, the nonprofits, they can write a question, you know, and right. the question could be have an opening statement like what, you know, underwater welders can earn $1,000 a day. Right away, I'm thinking Billy the Great Ten Kid's going, hmm, I didn't know you could weld underwater, and I didn't earn, know they could earn so much money. Uh, and then the question could go on. What percentage of our graduates from you know, BCIT 
are employed within two months of graduation. And then you give them an A, B, C, D, and then you give them a link to the exact web page right. where the answer is found. So they have to actually go into your, deep into your website and look for the information. They might have to watch a two-minute video to find the answer. And that creates the engagement. So it's actively, they're actively exploring. They're, it's in their head that they're getting that information. And we've heard from the institutions that work with us, this is exceptionally strong. Like they, they, they really find out about us. Um, so that's very, that makes us very unique. Um, it's compelling for teachers because it's a 10-minute activity that they can use as a bell exercise to start class. So it's, it's a really high-quality, quote, filler, but it marks itself that you know, we have students earning grades in this across the country. Um, and uh, in terms of our uptake, it is, we're right across the country, both languages. Uh, we're down in the States. Um, and the other piece is that it's fun. My dad, who worked for special ed in Peterborough, he went on to be at the ministry level for BC for special ed. He's, oh, wow. When you look at career education, I mean, this is, of course, the most failed course in Ontario. It's tied for the most failed course in Alberta. Uh, there's something wrong. There's <laughs> not definitely a, hard course, a like problem. They should be able to pass this. It's going to put in a bit of work. But if they're not engaged, there's something wrong. So uh, there are five, he always tells me, there's, there's strategies for reducing underachievement in students. And the top one has something to do with, um, with, uh, with self-confidence. Uh, but a subset of that is liking. Let's do something they actually like, you know, in career education. So the idea of gamifying this, give them points as they explore. Let them use those points for prizes or to give those points to free the children, which we then give as a cash donation to build classrooms elsewhere. Yeah. Let them fundraise for their school. So we have competitions. And we actually have national competitions, Canada's Most Informed School and Canada's Most Informed Student Competitions, where schools, we've raised $170,000, Robert, for schools in the last few years. Wow. Uh, and just this fall, we gave $6,000 in scholarships to our top senior students. That's fantastic. I love the concept. What? How are um, guidance counselors and co-op teachers embracing you or not? So it's uh, so in Canada, most kids take a course in career education, and every province has their own. So in Ontario, it's called uh, Careers and Civics or GLC two O. In, in New Brunswick, it's the Professional Development Career Planning. In BC, it's called Planning Ten. So primarily, where we're being adopted is by those teachers who have to deliver curriculum. Um, and they, there's a number of learning outcomes on exploring. They have to explore their opportunities, um, post-secondary options, career pathways, but they also have to look at health literacy resources and financial literacy resources, which is a big piece, right, of, of the equation. Sure. So, so those teachers, like, how else do they get these kids to explore what's out there? They take them to a career fair. They walk them to the career center. They, it, it's hard for these kids. They'll, they'll do the modified Myers-Briggs or the Holland test surveys, which do the personality self-assessments. Those are good. Uh, and those can make suggestions. And then they have great tools. There's software that schools buy, like Career Cruising and My Blueprint, which will allow yeah. the students to dig deeper once they have an interest. Like, I want to be an architect. And they can compare programs between institutions and figure out their paths and prerequisites. But the piece before that, the pre-inquiry piece, you know, the did you know what is out there? Like, let's build their occupational horizon. Let's broaden their horizon so that they can apply their newfound knowledge of self to this bigger universe and really get them interested in something. One of the big metrics we're working on is uh, 10 to 20% of first years drop out because they don't like what they've picked in Canada. And yeah. I think that that's a natural consequence to kids not really exploring deeply. Do you know how many parents I know who say, my kid has decided to change their major? Or even worse, one of uh, uh, my buddies in the education uh, space said he encouraged his daughter to explore and follow her passion. So she did music. She did a music degree, then did a post 
college diploma, music for business, and then graduated and said, you know, Dad, I don't think I want to pursue this as a career. What an expensive lesson. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is an interesting thing. I think uh, she probably did gain a lot out of that. And, I mean, there's myriad pathways that branch off of any path that you're on. Sure. There's, there's other careers within the career. and um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... That, that, that is going to happen. I think uh, right. when you have a student who's disengaged all the way through high school going, I don't know what I want to do, I don't know what I want to do, and then they graduate and they go do something, you know, it's like they really yeah. missed out on this. I mean, those are professional educators in the school. Those are counselors. Like, there's this right. lot well, to help you do a path uh, assessment. And they well, may have missed out on it if they weren't engaged. And, and it strikes me, uh, you know, the reality is, I mean, look at your career path. Look, I'm on, I'm on my third career, and it's been said that, um, you know, uh, our millennials are going to have five to eight careers. So this is where global competencies and skills are, you know, critical to arming the kids with, um, you know, a set of skills that's going to serve them well because they're competing globally and with a strong sense of what your career options could be in the 21st century through Chatter High and other vehicles. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Well, this, you know what? This is actually the core of what I talk about in conferences and schools. And I actually did a TEDx talk in February on this topic. Um, the competency of adaptability to me is one of the, if not the critical competency that a student needs to have when they graduate. And the reason I can say that so confidently is when I was in grade 10, a phone was a rotary dial device that your mother could listen to on the other end. Ten years later, all known knowledge in the history of the world was on my phone in my pocket. And I've been working in that industry ever since. There was no course that I could have taken in high school to tell me what to do. I've had to figure it out. And the same thing is going to happen for kids today. Ten years from now, these kids are going to have the option to live and work on Mars, according to Elon Musk. Right? Right. And the industries that are going to support that massive effort don't even exist today. And so truly, what is happening, and you know, I think about that the young lady, the, the music student that you're talking about is, what we want is for a student to be engaged in school. And vocational identity is the best strategy to get a student engaged in school. So we want them interested in something. So they, they need to explore. They need to get interested in something. And if they're interested in something and they find a path that they believe they can follow to that goal, that's actually the definition of hope. And hope is the biggest predictor of their success. That's right. the Snyder hope theory. It's bigger than their grades and their personality. Yeah. And it totally makes sense. If they know what they need to do, and they believe that they can do it, and they have the initiative to start, that's the third part of hope. 100%. Right? Then there's, that is the biggest predictor of their success. So let's, let's get them engaged. Let's do it in those career courses. It's a great time to do it. Um, let's, then when they go into grade 11 and 12, they're picking courses for a reason. You've picked Chem 11 for a reason. You're actually probably going to learn more when you're engaged in that class than if you're not engaged in that class. And that's what you get. Like, I learned stoichiometry in grade 11, and I've never done it again in the rest of my life. But I aced it because I was engaged. I wanted right. to be a paleontologist, and I needed scholarships, and I had to bug the teacher to figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's that, what's that done for me? I went on to do, this is my fourth career. And yeah. every career is radically different from the other. But I've become adaptable through this experience. And that's what life is. You know, we just constantly learn. So, so those career courses are incredibly important. Um, th these kids need to be able to see their options. They need to know their paths to get there because that's going to build the engagement that gives them that adaptability piece. 
Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, it's an interesting note that, um, you know, the pace of change in technological innovations um, has really uh, broadened the skills gap for our youth uh, in many respects. And, you know, um, how, how do you see that unfolding and where schools, you know, have pockets of excellence, school districts do, but it's not systemic? I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I, now that I've gone sort of coast to coast, I've seen different um, types of schools in different districts. I would say that generally, like a snapshot in time right now, Canada's doing really well. Uh, like here as a province, you know, the, I mean, it's every kid's going to be speaking in code, you know, in the next few years in BC. It's being, the coding's being right. the big curriculum. So, I mean, these are massive movements, and there is a lot of resistance. I've stood in a class where a teacher who is teaching careers, you know, when we talk about coding, like you can, you can sense that sense of, you know, they can't make me do this. Um, and that's just how people are in general. Um, it's a big community, the educators. I mean, there's 44,000 teachers in British Columbia. They're, they come from all walks of life. They're, they're, what motivates them is, is different, just like every other community. Um, and, and there is going to be that natural inertia, uh, resistance to change. But what, like everything else, you have your early adopters. There's a superstar teachers in different corners, and they, they find, figure things out. They do... They, they forge ahead, they create best practices, and then it gets benchmarked. Like, all industry works that way, too. And so, so to me, my, I guess my, my, what you're saying is true. If you happen to be in a school that is, like, perhaps not funded well, or the teachers are right. have gotten uh, complacent and they don't want change, then this is going to be, the families need to step up, right? You can do this stuff at home. I have my daughters, I have 10-year-old daughters, they're doing code.org at home, because I recognize this is something that I want, that this is important for them. And lots of right. parents getting involved. Parents Absolutely. Parents are a big piece of this equation. It's not all up to the teachers. But the schools need to have the technology. Uh, and But I'm just saying to you that having gone across the country, I get a sense that uh, there's a big movement. Like People are recognizing that this is what needs to happen. So um, it is a district-by-district district thing. Absolutely. But, uh, but, you know, you're right. Like There, there are teachers I've met who are... I, 40 seems to be the magic number. If you're over 40, they still struggle with working with email. Um, you know, but if you're under, like there's a lot of young teachers out there and these people, just like the kids in school, they've grown up with technology. Yeah. Um, now what is interesting to me is that I don't call the kids in high school today digital natives anymore. Um, right. Digital native. Like I grew, when I was 10, I bought a VIC-20, you know, which became a Commodore 64. I grew up cool. with this evolution of technology. Kids today, like it's all apps on this device and they can swipe and it does everything for them. Right. All the social media and gaming natives. They're really good at that stuff, but they may not know what's behind the curtain, so to speak. So, Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I was uh, had the opportunity to uh, attend the, the Governor General's uh, book launch and talk uh, at Mars earlier this week, and he talked about Canada as an innovative, kinder, gentler country that, you know, is performing well in the OECD PISA rankings top five, but we 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 risk you know uh, falling behind by you know being complacent you know and he talked about curiosity and 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 to cherish our teachers because I think sometimes teachers um, feel hard done by and underappreciated but as a parent. I would emphasize there's nothing more important 
than my kids' education. Hence, they were extremely important to me. And my kids performed well because parental engagement's a big part of the success equation as well. I, I, that you're 100% right. I mean, that complacency starts at home. Right. Um, and where, where if a child is not challenged and given responsibility, like, I mean, these are sort of easy things that we used to do, but there's so many things that can distract them now, you know, with the internet and cell phones and TV and Netflix. And, like, there's just so many things that can distract them. Uh, it, it takes active parenting, you know, on the part of the parent and the teacher, essentially, to give these kids responsibilities and get them going. Because when they start moving, then they can start thinking. <laughs> they can start seeing and they can start learning, you know, that this is how they, they're going to have to support themselves eventually. It's too easy for a kid to just live in this bubble and come out the other end of grade 12 with no clue of what's... They, they, they know a lot because they're connected, but no real clue about themselves right. and, and you know, their own involvement in that world. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, can you perhaps share a success story uh, working with the Canadian province or, or school district uh, with Chatter High? Oh, yeah. Um, so, so like I said, we're now across Canada. We're also in the States in both languages. But and the biggest, most awesome story that we have recently is uh, New Brunswick. So um, I got connected through New Brunswick to New Brunswick through an organization called CEREC. Okay. On the Connectus Conference. And they're just a great organization in Canada. Uh, and this is, these are my words. I don't know if the province would use these words. But essentially, I think what drove this project was what I'm calling like a labor market crisis. And these are my words. So 16%, I believe the stat is 16% of uh, young people leave New Brunswick each year. It's the highest proportion in the country. Right. Um, and essentially, you've got the same issue. You've got these kids living in the bubble, you know, in the school, really no clue of what's going on. Uh, and I say that generally. And the way they find out about the labor market and opportunities are people going around, driving around to the schools and presenting. And if you're presenting to 100 teenagers in a room, like you're, there's only 10 of them listening to this stuff. Cause right. Distracted and whatever. And, and I'd add to that in a tough economic market. I mean, New Brunswick, the East Coast, well, yeah. not so much in Halifax, but it's a challenged economy. I think I think we we've we've sort of gotten used to that. I mean, I, right. having now worked with them, I think that they'll tell you actually there's thousands of jobs here. Like really, Uber turnover now, and there are thousands of jobs in this province. And if your family's earning less than sixty five thousand dollars, the government's going to pay for your public post secondary education. Yeah. there's lots of things, but people don't know about it because they're not looking for that information. So right. We ran uh, the government, the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Advanced Education in New Brunswick ran a province wide uh, Chatter High competition in the fall. Um, it was promoted by the government, and we, we went out there and presented in schools and got the school involved, the schools involved, and it was awesome. It went really, really well. Um, apparently, we, quote, exceeded expectations. Um, it's a small province. It's smaller than Toronto in terms of population, like Toronto School District. But they, um, these kids visited the labor market websites 20,000 times. Uh, they visited post-secondary financial literacy career websites for information 155,000 times over the fall. And uh, it was about 11% of the high school population that was active. So they're already planning to do this again next fall. Uh, right. And it's just, it was a really, really positive story. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So what's been the biggest challenge as a startup in, in the ed tech space? Well, the thing that I was afraid of for those first three years when we were piloting was, you know, you know this idea of a corporation working in a public education world. I, growing up with educators as parents, you know, I think I probably came under the uh, 
the, the impression of, you know, businesses are evil and bad and who, who knew what. Uh, so yeah, we took a long time to pilot it. The pilot went really, really well. Um, as soon as we branched out of uh, Victoria, we went to go across BC. I kind of got kicked into the teeth by a couple of districts. And it was really just a, um, th there was some misinformation. There was fear of corporations. Uh, there right. were things not true said. And, and there are some really strong beliefs about uh, corporate corporations. And they're probably completely warranted. You know, you get you get burnt a couple of times. It makes you hard to sure. for people to understand. So, uh, so anyways, I had to learn to kind of grow around those districts and work with the districts that were willing to sit down and talk to you and explore your stuff. Um, and so that was, a, that was that's, I, you know, I think that remains a challenge that uh, there will always be educators that have, for whatever reason, their perspective on things. And yes. They can be right about it, but they can be wrong about it too. Um, everybody is a different person. So, um, you know, that, that was a very big challenge as the startup. Um, Right. The other thing for me is the brand is, you know, the brand awareness, it's growing, but what is Chatter High? We have to tell our story. Right, so absolutely. Like advertising doesn't really work for us. We have to be able to tell the story. So that's, yep. um, but that's happening. Well, and what's been most rewarding uh, today? Oh, easy, easy, easy. So I love being in the classroom. It's actually uh, it's a big passion of mine. I love teaching and, and being in those rooms with the kids. It's really neat to see the light switch on. So now, like I can, after doing this now, I've presented for about six years now. I totally get it. I totally get why being a teacher would be awesome. Right. right. You get to make a difference. Um, and then, you know, from anecdotally, I will get stories back from counselors or teachers or parents or even students who have, I mean, either they've found information they like, they love the, the philanthropy side of the site, um, but the, probably the best is when a teacher says, you know, this kid sat there for seven weeks completely disengaged, and then we started doing this, and they're totally switched on. That's, that's to, awesome. I got an email from a counselor from a First Nation community in northern Alberta saying, like a specific student, now wants to, like they are actively looking at their career path, where, and like this was a grade 11 student, where prior to that all they did was play video games. Well, and apparently his mother is very surprised by this event. No kidding. <laughs> well, I've heard stories like that. that with through other teachers using certain tools and and strategies to engage kids, and it's absolutely that that's the you know that's the rewarding part about you know being involved in the teaching profession and uh, you know not everyone is uh as passionate as they should be at times and it's hard to be at the top of your game all the time and but you clearly are you know a passionate man lee and uh so what's uh next uh, for you what's the next back busy three to one what's the next big thing for chatter high's roadmap uh, so Chatter High, we've we've really enjoyed the growth that we've had across the country into the state. So we're going to keep doing that. Um, for us, the, the, our product has a lot of cool places it can go. Um, I, I look at the information flow of you know, let's say college, university, government, uh, nonprofit into the schools, and then the schools exploring of that information as an ecosystem. Chatter High is a big piece to play in uh, improving that ecosystem and making it more efficient. A lot of money you would. A lot of money gets spent in advertising and promoting and recruiting. Um, in fact, I think the median public university spends two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to recruit fifty new students. You got to wow. think like so much of that money is sort of thrown in the air, hoping that people are going to look at your stuff. Um, Chatter High has a real role to play in making a much more efficient path for that. Um, there, there's something I think we can develop called an interest map. So, for example, if you're a post-secondary that offers a new program in X, Y, Z 
you've probably been spending the same money promoting it in the same six school districts for a couple of years, but nobody's applying. I mean, that program's in jeopardy of being lost. What if you knew the top 10 districts in the country that had an interest in that program? That's power, that, powerful that kind stuff. Of really improved the ecosystem, and, and we're rolling that out for September. So that, this, is, this is something very exciting for us. Well, congratulations, and thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Lee. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the call, Robert. That was Lee Tao, founder of Chatter High. My name is Robert Martellacci, Chief Digital Curator of the Mindshare Learning Report. Be sure to check out www.mindsharelearning.com to get your latest issue of the Mindshare Learning Report. And until next time, keep the learning curve steep.